Hello, hello. No I'm, good mornings or uh, good well, afternoons. I couldn't remember what time it was. <laughs> um, okay. I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Uh, yeah, it's 12 o'clock pretty much on the dot. And so I, my brain was like, Meh, what do you say? Is it morning or afternoon? You know? Yeah. I guess technically. Good day. <laughs> good day. <laughs> good morrow. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to Burden of Proof. We have a lot of business to cover at the front of this episode, so I'm going to jump right in. Oh, we do? We do. I try not to have business on the front, but we've got quite a bit. Party in the back, though. <laughs> All right. Stick it out. Um, basically, number one, as you see, this says part one on the top of this episode. Yay. Two-parter. Boo. We're not releasing it on Monday. We normally release our two-parters Thursday, Monday, and then back to a normal case episode on Thursday. Yes. It's summer vacation. We are very busy. We are exhausted and we just can't put out another episode. Like we would have to come up with two more episodes while we're traveling in the next few weeks. It just doesn't make any sense. So instead, what we're doing is we're doing part one this Thursday, part two next Thursday. And then Alicia has a two-parter. So it'll be Alicia's part one and then Alicia's part two the following Thursday. So we've got four weeks, two cases. Yes. Boatload of crime. So that way we don't have to take a break. Yeah, because the other option was having to take a week off, and we don't want to do that because... Or the or the last and terrible option is me losing my mind and ending up <laughs> yeah. a subject matter on a or, true crime podcast. Yeah, either, either the victim or the perpetrator, <laughs> one yes. or the other. She's either going to kill somebody or lose her mind. So Or lose my mind and then somebody kills me Yeah, because I'm acting a fool. Self-defense. <laughs> Um, so we just made the executive decision to spread them out. Yes. Okay. Number one. Number two. We've started doing Sunday shout outs. So those of you who comment our emoji challenges at the end of it, every video and you comment them on our Instagram or on our Facebook pages, we're going to be posting your, we're going to tag you on social media on our stories every Sunday doing Sunday shout outs. That's how we're going to do it. So. Yes. Yes. We had to figure out a solution for that because it came. Yeah, to edit. sometimes we record ahead and it wasn't quite working out <laughs> the way we were giving to. shout outs like weeks later and it that doesn't make any sense. So, yes. So we're going to do them all on social media, which is nice because it's, you know, a prize for interacting on social media. So, yes. All right. Those are the two business things. And then I have quite a big disclaimer before we start this case and okay. then we'll get into it. OK, so this is a recent case and there's a couple things I wanted to talk about before we start. So number one, we're going to be talking a lot about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the LDS Church is how I'll abbreviate it. We're going to be talking about the pipeline between um, the LDS Church into conspiracy theory and paranoid behavior, but this does not reflect our views on all LDS Church members in any sense, because this is this goes into a very extreme version of that. Yeah. And it is not reflective of the church itself. And so whatever we say, just know that it's not in reference to the church as a whole. It's just in reference to this group of people. Okay. Okay. Fair. I also have been following this case for several years. Um, and I'll talk about it at the very end of part two, like how this case affected me as a true crime lover. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's been very heavy on my heart since it started. And so I have a source list in the in the description, but there's just no way for it to be a comprehensive source list because I've been following it since 2019. So, yeah, I don't know what I was reading in 2019. 
I'm sure it was a reliable source, <laughs> but I don't remember. So yeah. sometimes I'll be like, oh, I remembered this and da 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 da, da and I don't. Well, chances are if you're kind of telling the story, remembering things that you've read in the past, you're not plagiarizing because yeah. you're not going to remember how to phrase it exactly like they did. Yeah. And it's, I mean, more than avoiding plagiarism, I like to be able to show you guys where I got my stuff so yeah. that you know that it's reliable. But yeah, it's not going to be a full comprehensive list this week. Second to last, there are tons of super in-depth sources for this case. You could easily have an entire season of a podcast on this case, and that's just not how Burden of Proof operates. So I'm going to give a long and in-depth overview <laughs> of this case. And if you're super intrigued, there's going to be some sources in the description, or I might just post a social media story or something about it mm -hmm. um, where you can find some more in-depth resources. There's two audiobooks that are, well, I've read them as audiobooks, but there's two books in the description you can read that are more inclusive. And those are super detailed as well as I'm sure there's a million podcasts that go super in-depth into it. There's way more that you can learn about this case that I'm going to give you, but I'm going to give you everything you need to know. Didn't she just have her trial? Mm-hmm. Her and there's trial. already two books out? The books came out before her trial. Okay. They don't cover the trial, basically. It's just one of those things, like, until the person's yeah. found guilty. I mean, there was really no finding on this one, because you I kind mean, of knew. Yeah. I mean, we all yeah. know that it's, you know, one of those cases that you're like, mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, there's a million different directions you can go in with this. You can go into the, the research on how... Like I said, how their religion led them into this path or how this sect of, you know, it's just the right. whole, there's a whole thing. But I'm happy with the way that my coverage of this came out. I think it's, I think it's good. I'm, 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 I'm pleased with it. So woohoo. Good. Okay. And last disclaimer, this is a really heavy case. Um, this is really hard for me. So if I cry, I'm really sorry. There will be crying. There, yeah. And that's Okay. <laughs> This isn't like one of my normal cases. I, I don't tend to do super heavy cases. All of mine, if they are heavy, we're laughing a lot. I don't know how much laughter we're going to have. I hope we find some because if we don't, I don't know how we're going to get through it. Um, well, I'll f probably find some because I'm broken. So yeah, I'm like Chandler Bing. <laughs> Y'all are with us. So here we are. <laughs> I um, find hu humor. I use humor as a... I love Chandler. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I use humor as a... A wall. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And so the whole time I was researching this case, I kept thinking, like, I think Alicia would probably do a better job at this. No. But yeah, this one's hard for me to get through. So I'm, I would wish I could say I was excited to cover it. I'm not, but I'm relieved to kind of put this chapter of my true crime journey to, to bed a little bit. Yeah. Because those of you who don't know me in real life, this is the this this case is the reason why I have nightmares about the LDS church. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been following this for a really long time. And every time I dive back into it, I have actual nightmares about Actually, it. Actually, I think that's how one of the first conversations that we had about true crime. I think you told me about a nightmare that you had. Yeah, probably. And then I was like, why would you have a nightmare about a church like i mean <laughs> i get being a little bit scared of them but why nightmares and then you were like oh this case yes that actually yeah. the timeline of that matches up in my yeah. head of when this started so that makes sense so anyway 
Point being, could I have slammed all of this into one part? Probably. I would have had to leave some more out. That's sometimes that's just the name of the game. But I think doing it in two parts is good because it gives everybody time to get a little palate cleanser in between. Yeah. So if you're binging this later after the fact and you're listening to it and you're going to listen to both parts back to back, please watch an episode of Schitt's Creek or something in between. <laughs> like, yeah. Break it up with something for my sake. Yeah. Unless you don't want to do that. That's fine. You know, at your own if you risk. you can handle it, if you know what you're about, yeah. then. So, I mean, this, you know, it's true crime. It has all the typical disclaimers. Children. Let's go. Yes. Children, sexual assault. Not much sexual assault. Very, it's very limited. It's in the first, like, probably 10 minutes of us covering it. So you'll be fine. So I think that's all of my okay. stuff. Cool. Cool. And action. I'm going to get some water first. And if at any point you get confused on all the players in this game, just let me know. Okay. I'll well, I'm not going in completely blind because I did. Like I said, I've watched the Netflix special, but I yes. didn't follow all the details like this whole time. So there's one whole section of the family that I think the Netflix special left out. Yeah. OK, so, we'll get into it. Lori Cox, who will eventually become Lori Ryan Vallow Daybell, <laughs> was born to a loving LDS family. She had several siblings, including two older brothers, Adam and Alex, and a younger sister named Summer. Lori was a really pretty, blonde, God-fearing girl, and right out of high school, she married her high school sweetheart. So marriage number one doesn't last very long, and soon she is on to husband number two. Husband number two also doesn't last very long. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, that just seems shocking when you are, you know. In the church. In the church. Yeah. Especially a church like that. Well, husband number two was pretty abusive, Um. so. Okay. In and out. Yeah. Even the church will allow that. Yeah. So number three is a real winner, and his he is a man named Joseph Ryan. She and Joe have two beautiful children together, Colby Ryan and Tylee Ryan. Colby was super excited to be a big brother, and everyone was excited to have a little girl in the family when they announced that Tylee was going to be born. And that's Kylie with a T, Tylee. Okay. Unfortunately, though, Joseph Ryan was allegedly a pretty abusive man. Colby recalls that he didn't spend any time teaching him things. He just expected him to be perfect without guidance. Lori started confiding in those closest to her that she was experiencing abuse at home. And when Colby informs her that there was sexual abuse involved, she takes both of the kids and files for divorce. Okay. Now, this is when we see the first inkling of how close Lori and her brother Alex are. On the outside, it was obvious that this family was pretty close-knit, and they all kept in touch regularly. But when Lori tells Alex all of these things about Joseph, he confronts him. He approaches him near their cars in a parking lot, and long story short, he tases him, basically. <laughs> he threatened to kill him, and a lot of people think that the situation had planned to go much further. Okay. I he mean... Good on brothers who are protective of their sisters, but that's a little extreme. Oh, my brother would absolutely tase somebody. I mean, like, if you, after the fact, like, I don't. Yeah. So it's like he, you're stepping in in the midst of an act, you know? Oh, he does that too. <laughs> like, don't worry, we'll get there. Then I would understand. But if you're, like, seeking the person out after the that's fact. So that's so funny that you say it like that. 
Okay. So you have no idea. Okay. Okay. Um, so he was convicted of battery and he um, yeah. was put on probation. I think he served like 90 days or something for that. He was known to talk about the story saying that he tased a pedophile and was expecting a high five, but actually he got charged with a felony, which I kind of thought was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like a stand-up bit that he would do. He would say like, I found out my ex-brother-in-law was a pedophile. I tased him in the nuts and then I got charged for it kind of thing. He actually, I think, tased him in the shoulder, but... It's funnier if you tase him in the nuts. So. <laughs> yeah. So after this whole incident, she's divorced and a single Lori meets a man named Charles Vallow at church. She loved him. Don't worry about that. She did love him when they got married, but also he was financially secure. So that helps. Yeah. He was a financial consultant and he really wanted to take care of Colby and Tylee. Like he cared about them and he had, I believe, five sons from a previous marriage, and they blended pretty well, and they fell right in together. So they had this beautiful blended family who, you know, really loved the church, and they had a great marriage. And Charles's parents really fell in love with Tylee as well. I mean, they loved Colby, don't get me wrong, but he was much older at this point, and yeah. um, they really fell in love with Tylee. And the next step for Lori and Charles was to add another to their ranks. So... They adopted J.J. Vallow, Joseph Jackson Vallow. Okay. Family tree on J.J. Charles Vallow had a sister named Kay, and Kay's son had J.J. Oh, okay. And couldn't take care of him. And um, so basically, he's Charles's sister's grandson. Right. So Charles would be his great uncle. Yes. Got it. And his grandparents loved J.J. so much, but they were older and they wanted somebody younger who would be able to take care of him for longer. And so they asked Lori and Charles to adopt J.J. Um, And Lori was a great mom to Colby and to Tylee. Fantastic mother. So, you know, all three siblings became really, really, really close. They loved J.J. They were so excited, especially Tylee. She was known to call J.J. her baby. Like, she was so maternal towards him in a way that it wasn't like she was being parentified or parentification is the word but like in a sense of like she would tell her mom like oh no he's my kid like he's my baby as a a loving joke yeah charles was acting as colby's father figure and they were doing really well the family had really hit a good stride but colby said that around you know a few weeks after they had adopted jj is when he started noticing a little bit of some things changing surrounding their family a few years i'm sorry not a few weeks the lds church started to really infiltrate their lives more than it had i mean they were very religious growing up both of their parents were lds but it went from a normal strict religion to extreme Lori had pictures of all of the all, on all the walls of temples and the next step in this extremism for her was that she was sent on a mission via a spirit at their church. So if I'm remembering correctly, I didn't write this down. I'm remembering this. Um, she was at the church with Charles and JJ or Tylee, one of her kids, okay. her younger kids. And she heard a voice like calling to her in the church. And so she let the child ran after it. She found them. And this is where she was given this message from an angel or a spirit. And her mission was that she and her family were to move to the 
Kauai, Kauai chapter in Hawaii okay. of the LDS church. Okay. So they did. They moved to Hawaii. And they thrived in Hawaii. This whole family loved living there. It would become the kids' favorite place ever. And Tylee's friends from the mainland would come in and, and visit, and they would say that, you know, they were very well taken care for, that they were happy, that they loved staying there, and the family was good. The only inkling of anything going a little bit weird um, was when Lori met her friend April Raymond. So April was a fellow LDS woman at this Hawaiian chapter of the church, and she had also been through a divorce. So she talks about in the Netflix documentaries where she is, you know, speaking out and she says that she had found solace in her new friend Lori, who had been through a similar situation with her with divorce and, you know, dealing with that within the church and being, you know, the fallout from that. And that's in the Netflix documentary is called Sins of Our Mother. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. I watched it. Yeah. It was good. It's hosted primarily by Colby and Lori's mom. So you get their perspectives, which was nice. Lori started opening up to April about the fact that she was a little frustrated with her husband Charles's spiritual or religious relationships with God. April even agreed with her that sometimes that they felt that Charles was, quote, one step behind Lori in his faith and that he didn't understand some of the concepts in their religion like Lori did. Okay. I'm not going to pretend to know enough about the, the Mormon. I'm sorry. They don't prefer Mormon. They prefer LDS church yeah there's a difference sort of i guess Mm. they just don't want to be called mormons which is fine okay the lds church um i don't know enough about what they believe once you get higher up in the studies to know what they mean when they say that he didn't understand some of the concepts okay but i think that could apply honestly as somebody that used to regularly attend church like just non-denominational yeah. church, I think that that could apply and does apply to a lot of couples in any kind of church. Yeah. Because men just, A, tend to not express that as easily or as much, mm-hmm. and and or B, they just really aren't as spiritual mm-hmm. about their religion practices and stuff. I mean, I know what you're saying, but it wasn't that he wasn't, a strong faith leader in their home because he 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 was okay because that's she looked for that she looked for that because her her second husband also had that he was a very religious man and he kept that in their house and that's something that she wanted yeah it was more that he didn't understand things that he was given at higher levels of education in the church gotcha okay so i mean it got worse because Lori was becoming more extreme in her beliefs so it wasn't even just the basics that he was being given at church. It's what she was trying to bring into their home outside of the church. Gotcha. He did not believe in the extreme stuff that she believed in, and that was becoming a problem. Yes. The extremities stemmed from listening to some new podcasts with her brother, Alex. This is when their relationship shifts a lot. And we're going to come back to that. Their strange relationship. Okay. These extreme LDS podcasts eventually inspired Lori to start one of her own with her friend Melanie Gibbs. Because apparently, like, you can just, anybody can just start a podcast. They just let crazy people do this. Yeah, I mean, they, they just let anybody do it. Just anybody. Yeah, you don't, I mean. Paralegals. Yeah. You don't have to be anybody to do it. Just 
set up a little space Mm -hmm. in your house. Exactly. So she began saying that she was regularly communicating with the angel Moroni and that she wouldn't sleep often because of how often she was speaking with different angels and getting instructions. (laughs) Sorry. Some, Some of these instructions were to move back to the mainland and to move to Chandler, Arizona in 2017. Okay. I I don't I there's I got nothing. Yep. Except slow blinks. Slow blinks. Got lots of slow blinks for yeah. you. Quickly I'm going to touch on um her relationship with her brother Alex. Now Alex was briefly married to a woman named Debbie and she said that and this is the only really the only source that corroborates this but I do think it's interesting and worth noting that Alex and Lori had a really personal relationship. She did not think that they were having sex. But she did think it was weird how open they were about their sex lives and that they were just very touchy for siblings. And as somebody who I would say that me and my brother are really close, we're good friends. Some of the things that she talked about, absolutely the heck no. I do not want to hear about my brother's sex life. Yeah. And he would tell Debbie like that it's weird that she was weirded out by it. That they were just friends. Debbie, you are perfectly sane. And she left. <laughs> she was like, in this family is like very dysfunctional on leaving. So again, picture perfect on the Good outside. On Debbie. Debbie went in and she was like, mm, I think I'm gonna head out. And so they did they did not their marriage didn't last very long. So I thought that was interesting and kind of worth noting, considering like they do have a really strange relationship. But you know. Again. They're moving back to Chandler, Arizona, 2017. And around the same time, Colby Ryan actually moves in with his now wife, Kelsey. Okay. Who he met at school. I don't know if they got married before they moved in together or whatever, but that's all happening like relatively quickly. Um, Okay. And they had met in high school and they're high school sweethearts. And I loved listening to them talk about each other because they're so sweet. (laughs) The main issue that Lori had with Kelsey was that Colby started going to a Christian church with Kelsey. (gasps) She did not like that. No. She wanted Colby to stay at their LDS church and to feed into her extremist beliefs. She became a very manipulative mother, competing with Kelsey for Colby's attention, and it got worse when they got engaged. She started saying things like, Jesus loves you, but he loves me the most, to Kelsey. Which, like, (laughs) I grew up in the church. And like, uh-uh, Miss Ma'am, that's not, that's literally the opposite of how it, that's not, mm-mm, oh, mm-mm. You need okay. to go talk to your angel friend Maroni because I think you need a lesson. You need to go back to Sunday school. No, I like, think that's the problem is that she's talking to her angel friend Maroni. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the name is Maroni? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it sounds like an Italian hitman name. <laughs> I don't, I didn't fact check to see Are if he was Are we sure that Maroney wasn't from Jersey? <laughs> Hold on. Angel Maroney. Be <laughs> using Siri. Angel's actually his first name. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this guy. <laughs> oh, gosh, that would be so funny. He's just living in the attic of the church. <laughs> Homeless man named Angel. <laughs> he's hiding out because he's got... A bunch of mobsters after yeah, him. Yeah, coming, they're coming for him. 
So, yeah, that was kind of a real breaking point for Lori was um, when Colby got got married. And I think that it's interesting that later down the line, we see her treat her two younger kids differently than she treats Colby. Okay. And I don't think that they felt that effect when she was not having some mental health issues. Right. She was always a great mother. Later down the line, when things shift, Colby has a light spirit. Tylee does not. Mm. So we already see before yeah. she has some mental health issues start to arise that she is very protective or possessive of Colby from the get-go. So I think it's interesting how it ends up playing out down the line. Yeah. So after Colby's wedding, April says that this is when Lori starts doomsday prepping. She was buying like dry goods and all the fun stuff. And she began showing her fear to the people around her that they were about to go through a very dramatic rapture. I don't know if they call it the rapture in the LDS church or if they call it the second coming of Christ or what they call it. I'm going to say rapture because that's what I was taught. Hey, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. That thing, I that event clear. that's coming. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's what they're referring to. Yeah. So Alex and Lori were listening to these podcasts and hanging out a lot. Um, and there was quite a few of these LDS podcasts and podcast groups that led them to friends like Melanie Gibb and Zulema Patinas, as well as her adult niece, who is also named Melanie. <laughs> Two Melanies. Sorry. I will okay. say Melanie Gibbs when I'm talking about Melanie Gibbs. Okay. And I will just call Melanie Melanie. Okay. So Melanie and Lori start their own religious podcast called Feel the Fire. That's what it's called. Okay. Yep. She had started reading all of these weird doomsday books and near-death experience books and, and all this other stuff. And she went to a conference or a convention around these extremist circles and groups. And this is where Melanie Gibbs introduced her to Chad Daybell. The pause is so you know it's important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, He did a talk and she went up and met with him and he was doing a signing and selling his books. Now, she'd already read most of his books. She knew who this was. Yeah. Um, They started talking and she asked some questions. And after the first time that they met, he told her that they had been married in multiple lives. Oh, okay. And he later said that a voice said to him, you will meet an extraordinary woman today who will change you forever or your life forever. But if they've been married, then he's met her before. Okay. See? This is my problem. There's <laughs> plot holes in this story. So let me give you a little bit of background Your on charms Chad. charms would never work on me, Chad Daybell. <laughs> they would never. So let's talk a little bit about Chad Daybell because he has his own life. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. So Chad Daybell was the author of fictional near-death experience books and also a member of the LDS Church. When Chad was younger and he was sent on his mission, he set baptismal records because of how charming and his calm demeanor was. He had this very mm-hmm. persuasive personality. He brought so many people to the LDS church. And it was after his mission that he had his first near-death experience. He went cliff jumping and he said he was knocked into the rocks and knocked unconscious and he nearly drowned. He had a second near-death experience shortly after where he was nearly drowned in the ocean because he was tumbled by the waves. <laughs> the ocean has it out for you. I noticed that too. <laughs> the ocean knows something. Yeah. 
He says that these experiences, like when he was unconscious, when he was nearly dead, this is where he was in the place where he was given the ability to bring back messages from the veil and essentially become a prophet. Okay. Okay. There are a million stories of his. I could talk about him for hours. These are the two that I'm talking about because if I talk about any other ones, I won't sleep. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, he met his wife, Tammy. They got married, had five kids. He started writing books and speaking at conferences. And then he and his wife founded Spring Creek Books, which is his own publishing company. They primarily publish books about the end of times, the rapture, and near-death experiences, and how the apocalypse is coming, and how to handle it. I don't think that the Netflix documentary really showed enough about the extreme things that his readers were reading, or the things that he was saying in his talks, and the things that these people were pushing. So let's, let's, uh, here's an example. In most scenarios... People think that during the rapture or the apocalypse or the second coming of Christ, that Christ will come and lead his chosen people through that. Yes. As that is how it is written. Yes. Chad thought that he would be doing that. (laughs) He treated his books as scripture. And after all, the Bible was written by prophets and disciples. He was a prophet and a disciple. And he thought that was his life mission was to lead people through the end of times that was coming very quickly. This is happening right now. So Chad. Okay. Chad also believed that he had the ability to see into people's spirits. He created a ranking system where he would rank them based on the number of lives that they had and whether or not they had dark spirits or light spirits. And supposedly he could just do this by looking at you. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Okay. I I don't know what to say. Yep. Like, I don't know what... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be too dismissive because I know there are people that... I, I believe that some people do have psychic-like abilities and can... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. certain people, but I don't know that they go around... I'm pretty sure that they don't go around ranking people. It, it's all about the way that it's it's used, and I don't... Yeah. I don't know, man. Moving on. Moving on. It's really kind of difficult to explain all of the things that he believed because like most cults or conspiracy theories, the weirder things get, the more you look into them. So, you know, we're never going to really understand everything he was saying. I mean, I'm sure some people have read everything he's ever written and seen everything he's ever done and they know all of it. Oh, I'm sure. Uh Uh-uh. Not me, though. Well, no. Mm Mm-mm. But it is interesting that it it didn't always feel like he was trying to grow a cult. It was bizarre. Like, it didn't have the same vibe. It kind of felt more exclusive. Like, only, only, because again, one sec, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. I'm very angry. Passion. He and Lori would eventually believe that those that were taken over by their dark spirits, their souls were in, quote, limbo. And that a demon would then use their body as a host. And until the physical body was killed, that demon was actually the person. It wasn't actually their soul. It was a demon. Does that make sense? I mean, no, but no. you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. 
So again, you have light spirits, you have dark spirits. Yeah. If you've been taken over by a dark spirit, your body is actually being controlled by a demon and your soul is dead. And until your physical body is dead, that demon is in charge. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. They would refer to these people as zombies. Oh, okay. Um, And there were 20,000 zombies on Earth and they had to take care of them or kill all of them before the apocalypse because at the apocalypse, the 144,000 people that Christ had deemed the chosen ones would save them in the rapture or Chad would direct or lead. Okay. I don't So they are like... I believe it's Jehovah's Witnesses that also believe there's only 144,000 people going. I think you're right, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, if they didn't kill the 20,000, it might affect something with the rapture, I guess. I don't know. That's just what... Who knows? Anyway, one of the forensic psychologists in the Netflix docuseries said this, and I really liked the way he phrased it. He said that, quote, he was trying to create a new religion on the back of Mormonism. Yeah. End quote. So he had taken, you know, Mormonism, part of the Jehovah's Witness lifestyle and or the religion, not lifestyle and, you know, doomsday prep. And I think he truly believed it. I don't think he was hoaxing people. This is actually what he thought was happening. Yeah. And that's how they lived. But it's it doesn't fit. Like I said at the very beginning of the episode, it doesn't fit into what the LDS church prescribes to or what the Jehovah's Witnesses subscribe to, like subscribe to, like we're not. It's not against them. Yeah. This is their own issue. Yeah. Somebody who was directly outside of Lori's chosen inner spirituality circle, like her little extremist group friends, was April. She wasn't into all of that, but she did still talk to Lori, and she recalls that some of the last texts she has with her, she had started getting weird information. She says that at this point, Lori said her husband Charles was already dead and that a demon was using his body as a host. The person who was walking and talking as Charles Vallow was actually a demon named Ned Snyder. Wait, Ed or Ned? Ned. Ned with an N. (laughs) I've never heard of demons with stupider names. Oh, God. Okay. Like, I'm sorry. Did they not watch The Conjuring? Or, like, they have weird... Demons have weird names. Yeah. You could (laughs) have come up with something so much better than Ned Snyder. I wish Supernatural had... Yes. ...still been filming. Yeah, I (laughs) agree. Because I'm sure they would have taken those... Been like, we need some new demons in, in, in the show named Ned Snyder. Yes. It's such a specific name. So I'm wondering if, like, I guess they thought that maybe humans who were bad dark spirits became demons, and so Ned Snyder was a person, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where they got that name from. I'm guessing. Poor The poor Ned Snyders of the world. I know. <laughs> They're forever tainted. If your name is Ned Snyder, please, please DM us. I would die. And so she also said that any day now the demon would die and and she would be getting a a call that his body was dead. Okay. Yeah. So let's explain how Lori and Chad really got to be close because right now they've just met and apparently been married a few times. (laughs) Remember that podcast that Lori and Melanie host? Yes. How could I not? Chad comes on as a guest. And after that point, they are their friends. But really, I guess, like, Chad would like to have the narrative of he was actually friends with Alex first. But, like, I don't really think so. Hmm. Anyway, 
Okay. So one day, Colby calls his mom and his mom is like, oh my gosh, Charles has been cheating on me for years. I just found out. And like every time he would go to California, he was actually cheating on me and spending all this money on girls. And and Colby's like, that's not good. That's really bad. That's my father figure. So he calls Charles to get both sides of the story. And Charles is hysterical. He's like, she's acting crazy. This isn't your mother. Like he said very seriously, like, this isn't your mother, Colby. This is not Lori. Like something is wrong. Yeah. And poor Colby is like, well, he kind of sounds worse than she does. And like, it sounds like he may have gotten caught and he's trying to spin it and he doesn't really know what to think. And I can kind of see that. Like he said he sounded guilty. And so he kind of stopped talking to Charles because that's, I mean, you know, what do you do? Yeah. Nobody really believed Charles, unfortunately. And so Lori tells everybody not to talk to him. And I believe that Adam is the only person who would take Charles's calls, Lori's other brother. Okay. And of course, their marriage isn't going well, obviously. Lori thinks that he's actually a demon named Ned (laughs) and his body is a zombie. So, yeah. Yeah, there's not really any therapy that can fix that. Don't think so, no. So one day, Charles had to go on a business trip. And while he was, I think he was in Houston. While he was there, Lori canceled his plane ticket home, had Alex take his truck from the airport parking lot, and then Alex came back to their house and moved all of his stuff out. Nice. Yep. So Charles gets back from his trip, and I'm sure he tries other avenues first, but eventually when he does get home, he calls the police because this has officially gone further than just his truck and his clothes being missing because he can't get a hold of Tylee or JJ. Yeah. So Tylee is 16 at this point, and JJ is six and a half. Okay. There's some body cam footage of him talking to the police um, where he is not at all concerned with his stuff. He doesn't even mention that his car is gone, that his clothes are gone at all. He only mentions, he says, I can't get a hold of my kids. The police kick the door in and they see that nobody is home, but technically no crime has been committed because they're assumed to be with their mother. Right. And they aren't divorced and they aren't separated at all. So, I mean, like technically not separated. So it's not like kidnapping is in play. There's nothing they can do. Right. You know? But what they do do is, based on what Charles tells the police about her mental state, they file what we would call in Florida, like, similar to a Baker Act, but not the same. I don't know what they called it in Arizona, um, but basically saying that she had to get a mental evaluation. Okay. So the next day, when Charles knows that she's going to be taking JJ to school, they go pick her up, basically. So that he shows up to the school... And she talks with the police. She goes into the station and they fully fall for her charm, like head over heels. They don't believe that she's crazy. And like crazy is not the right word. She's definitely just having she's brainwashed and involved in a cult. And like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but they don't believe any of that. They're like they literally say, well, I mean, when I talk with you, I think you're fine. But since they've orchestrated the testing and they've signed this order, you should probably get the evaluation done, but you can probably just do it independently and provide that rather than go in and get the hold done because they could hold you for like 24 or 48 hours. So they're like giving her loopholes through this. How lovely. Yeah. So she does. She cooperates and, and all of that. And she's deemed competent to be a mom and to. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I I just 
I think that somebody, I don't know. I guess it just depends. I don't, what am I saying? What am I even I saying? Know. I think that honestly, her appearance has a lot to do with this as well. Yeah. Because well, she's, I wasn't going to say it. I'm going to say it. She's a pretty blonde, yeah. you know, LDS woman who is very good at putting on the front of being okay. Yeah. And she's sitting there saying, well, he cheated on me. So yeah, I moved. She admits like, yeah, I took his truck. I stole his truck. I, I took his clothes out of my house. Yeah, I did. And they don't say anything about it because it's a marital dispute. Like, you know, is it really stealing if they're married? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they, they, they don't do anything about all of that. But she admits it in an interview because of her, she's so charming and her appearance and everything. They're just like, yeah, OK. That doesn't seem irrational or anything. Mm-mm. I also think it's important to note that around this time or beforehand or something like that, I don't know exactly when, Charles either finds or had already found evidence that Lori was cheating on him with Chad. Yeah. So basically, he had found an email, and they all communicate with email a lot. It's kind of weird to me, but whatever. They found an email. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. They found an email that was written to Chad by Charles who had never talked to him about anything ever. He said that basically, I want to write a book. Can you ghostwrite? Can you help me publish? And it was from Charles to Chad. And Charles found it. Never wrote it. Yeah. He put two and two together and realized that Lori had written this email as Charles so that Chad's wife would see it and say, oh, he's going to this place to meet up with this Charles guy about a book. Yeah. When in reality, he was going to meet up with Lori. Right. It's unclear if they ever actually met up at this point, but that's what this was set up for. Yeah. Charles tells Adam that he's going to be reaching out to Tammy Daybell, which is Chad's wife. And we don't know if Tammy ever actually got the email or the text or whatever from Charles. We don't ever hear about it from Tammy. I'm sure there's a lot of things people didn't hear from Tammy. There certainly are. The other thing I wanted to mention right here was that I don't know when, but sometime in January or February of 2019, at the same time as all of this is happening, Lori tells Charles, I don't care about you anymore. I don't care about JJ. And she disappears for 58 days. I don't know exactly the days of like between this and this, but I know it was 58 days. But she's a great mom. She was. She, she got no problems. Until she met Chad Daybell. Yeah. Until she started down this whole extremist route and everything in her, her priorities completely shifted. So he has a lot to go on when he decides that he's going to show up to her home um, and he had filed for divorce and he had actually filed for a restraining order against her because of all of this going on and he knew that it was an issue with the kids because of what she had said about JJ Mm -hmm. This divorce was going to be messy. It was going to be a very messy custody battle because he couldn't really fight for Tylee because it wasn't his biological daughter and they had never done adoption paperwork. But JJ is his son. Yeah. So he shows up on July 11th, 2019 to the home. He had moved out. Lori was living in their house with the kids. And Alex was actually staying at the home, which is kind of weird because he didn't normally stay there when he came to town. He lived in Kansas at the time. So normally, I guess he would get a hotel, but he stayed with them this time, which is kind of strange. But Charles shows up. 
he and Alex get into an argument over Lori. It's kind of weird what the argument was about. Some sources say that it was about a phone. Sometimes they say it was about Lori and how he was treating Lori. But either way, Tylee steps between Alex and Charles with a baseball bat, kind of like just to separate them. Yeah. And then Lori steps in, has both the kids leave. She takes the kids to go take JJ to school. Okay. And according to Alex, Charles grabs the baseball bat and hits him in the back of the head with it. Alex then goes upstairs or to another room or something and gets his gun out of his case and then shoots Charles. So Charles just stayed there after hitting him with a baseball bat. He just stayed there. He didn't attack him further or he didn't flee. And he only hit him once with the baseball bat and it wasn't that hard. Like he had a he had a laceration, but he was fine. So what we now know is that Alex looks around and is like, where'd she go? So he calls Lori and he's like, um, did you did you take JJ to school? She's like, yeah, I, I took him to get breakfast and I'm on my way and I took him to school and Tylee and I did something and then I can't work on you back. So he tells her on the phone, like, well, I just shot Charles. So like, what are we going to do about that? And she says, okay, well, you need to call the police. He calls. They walk him through some CPR, which afterwards we realize he never actually did CPR. Shocking. And then the police come. And this is when we kind of realize that he didn't call the police for 43 minutes after Charles was shot. Well, you got to give him time to bleed out. (laughs) He shot him four times in the chest, but they realized when they did his autopsy that the, the first shot he was standing, and by the second shot, he was being shot while he was laying on the ground. Yeah. So he's taken in for questioning, but all their stories match up about the argument and the bat and when Lori and Tylee left. So they there's really nobody but Charles and, Ad, and Alex who know what right. happened, and so they let him go. Because they didn't know about, obviously, they didn't know about the shot issue until they did an autopsy or until the forensic examiner noticed. And even then, who were they to say he didn't need to shoot him? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's a dead guy's word against Alex's and everything else in the story matches up. So technically, I guess they don't really have any reason to say otherwise. Yeah, it still doesn't. Yeah, it still makes you feel icky. Mm hmm. Lori proceeds to tell Colby on the phone that Charles had a heart attack and died. And then a few hours later, she texts his sons, Charles's sons from his previous marriage, and says that he passed away, but doesn't give a reason. When they ask, she's like, oh, I have to wait on the medical examiner. And then she takes hours to respond to them, and they're pissed. And they never really, she never really gave them any answers. They didn't know until, like, after when the news was covering it what happened. She never told them that Alex shot them, shot him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Colby leaves whatever he's doing. He gets to his mom's house and he finds a crying Tylee. Yeah. And this is when he was told that it was a shooting. He had been told on the phone that it was a heart attack. Yeah. So, like, what do you what do you even say? Like, what do you even say to that? Nothing. I don't know what I would say, but I'd be pretty pissed. Yeah. I mean, I know he stopped talking to him kind of because he thought, oh, he's cheating. But I'd be questioning my mom. Why did you tell me it was a heart attack? 
He did, but then I think she probably just said, like, I just didn't want to tell you that over the phone because it was so, it's hard to hear about your Uncle Al. Like, I figured I would tell you the truth in person or or maybe she said I'm in front of JJ. Like, I don't know what she said, but yeah. I'm not buying it. Well, not buying it, Lori. <laughs> well, very quickly after Charles's death, Lori breaks the news to her family that they're moving. She doesn't tell them where and she packs up their stuff really fast. And um, the only thing she said is that they were moving somewhere cold. That's the only thing she said. And we don't know how much she told Tylee. Like, Tylee wouldn't say where they were going either. We don't know if she told her what she didn't tell her. And so Tylee's grandparents were holding her as she cried. And she's, and then they were like, are you going to be okay? Like, what, what do we need to do? And she just said, I have everything I need. I'm sorry. I will be okay. I just needed to cry. Now, that was Charles' parents? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. They were very involved in their grandkids' yeah. lives. So, again, the only information Colby got was that it was going to be cold. And it turns out they were moving to Rexford, Idaho, which is conveniently where Chad Daybell lived. Of course. Lovely. Yeah. That hug, that time where they held a crying Tylee, that would be the last time that their grandparents or older brother held them. It was the last time that they were seen in person by their family alive. And this is where we're going to end part one. Next week, we're diving deeper into this crazy case. Episode one was skimming the surface, and now we're going to get into the rest of this mess, the series of bodies along the way, and where we are now. So hopefully you guys pick up with us next week. Lit is right. (laughs) Well, that is something. Yep. I don't really, I don't know. I don't have much commentary on this because it's just so, yeah. and I, I probably would if I knew more about the LSD. The LSD. The LSD church. <laughs> the I have friends who are in the LSD church, actually. <laughs> okay. Well, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I actually don't think that you would, I don't think that it would help, really, because it's very different. Well, I know that this is, like, an extremist, and he's trying to, like, twist things and whatever, but I I just think, like, yeah. yeah I would I, I would maybe have something more to go on yeah. if I knew more background on that church, but I don't, Whip. which is probably for the best because I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So, yeah. yeah. This is quite a case. It is, but I hope you feel like you understand everything so far. And um, yes, you have unresolved questions. Please leave them on. We'll we'll post two posts for this one. One on the drop Thursday and then a second post for part two next week. If you have questions about part one, let us know. I will make sure that we either will DM it to you yeah. unless I know it's going to be in part two. And then I will probably just be like, listen next week. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Sounds good. Yep. I know what you're thinking. Some people are probably like, what is the crime other than Charles? Well, you, you said there's bodies, bodies to come. along the way. Yeah. And um, we got to go. We got to go find Tylee and JJ. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll pick up next week. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.